Time for the announcement. Okay, people, tomorrow morning, 10 a.m., Santa's coming to town. Santa! Oh, my God! Santa here? I know him. Does Santa Claus sleep I with his whiskers him. outside or in? Always sleep in the map. Cold air makes him grow. Johnny, naughty. <laughs> Gary, nice. <laughs> Veronica, very nice. In your dreams, playboy. How low can you get giving Kris Kringle a parking ticket on Christmas Eve? What's next? Rabies shots for the Easter Bunny? Fragile. Yeah, it must be Italian. Well, I think that's just fragile. Honey. Oh, well, yeah. we're gonna put on an APB on Big Bird. Attention all units. Watch Yellow Bird, silly voice. Where's Eddie? He usually eats these things. Oh, not recently, Clarky. Read the squirrels were high in cholesterol. Don't ask him for a favor, cause his nastiness increases. No crust of bread for those in need. No cheeses for us, Mises. And since I am dead, I can take off my head to recite Shakespearean quotations. I'm in big trouble. Oh. No. 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 For all your posturing, all your little speeches, you're nothing but a common thief. I am an exceptional thief, Mrs. McLean. And since I'm moving up to kidnapping, you should be more polite. It's Christmas Eve. It's, it's the one night of the year when we all act a little nicer, we smile a little easier, we share a little more. For a couple of hours out of the whole year, we are the people that we always hoped we would be. What the... <laughs> My mouth's bleeding, Birch! My mouth's bleeding! Doo-doo pedals! Doo-doo! There they are! Birch! What do you know about that? Merry Christmas! Almost lost my cool there. I'm Mitch. I'm Stephanie. And we're the Film Underdogs. Welcome back to Film Underdogs. This week we're talking with Derek Willis local filmmaker that we worked with on the 48-hour film project. Welcome, Derek. Thanks for having me. It's a new experience. It'll be fun. Have you done a podcast before? Never. Nice. Well, we're still pretty new at it, so don't feel too bad. It's alright. You're in for a treat. Oh, yes. So we did the 48-hour film project. Have you had a chance to work on anything since then, or...? Um, nothing narrative. Uh, most of my stuff lately has been work-based. Uh, it's more corporate stuff and roller derby, uh, mm-hmm. directing, live stream, roller derby, multi-camera, and that's just, uh, that's what we do. Uh, and, and it's a lot of fun, actually. I, the most fun is I got to do, not only I was directing that, and then I uh, learned how to do uh, or operate a replay system in conjunction with doing roller derby, um, which has been, which was a lot of fun, which was new for roller derby itself uh, a little bit. We've had it before, but it's always been people who have no idea w- about the sport necessarily. And uh, and this time, we I know the sport, having officiated and, and uh, been a part of the sport for a while now. And so uh, it's actually knowing stuff and being able to, to listen to like the announcers and, and what's going on and be able to do all kinds of different replays and not just apex jump after apex jump so you know which is for derby is the thing okay well here's a question for you just a technical thing what's an apex jump (laughs) (laughs) well derby is runs in an oval and you're jumping the apex of the circle so a uh, a jammer jumping jumping that to go around the pack 
uh, if you know derby at all. And so it's a it's a it's a very big jump that a skater does the kind of on squads quad skates, uh, and it's it's a big flashy thing. It's like a really great throw in basketball or a slam dunk in in basketball. I say basketball twice there, football or basketball. Anyway, well, we I'm better as a writer. Uh, <laughs> I just want to say that now. Uh, but yeah, now, that's another thing. I did uh, I did win a win a writing contest in October um, for a short script that I wrote. Um, I won um, best screenplay for um, a Golden Blaster Awards, which was out of uh, the Irish Sci-Fi Festival that took place in October. Nice. Um, so that was that was cool, and that was for a great little story that we're slowly putting together um, bit by bit, which we actually did the... Uh, it's an animated piece, and we're trying to build the audio for it, and maybe at some point we'll actually animate it, but one thing at a time. So animation's a little difficult that way, so... Yeah, it's very time-consuming and... And expensive. Expensive, yeah. I like to pay people if I possibly can. That's something that, with the stuff that Stephanie and I have been talking about, it's one of the things that have kept me from actually getting started on any kind of filming or anything is because I want to make sure I have enough of a budget to do it to where I can at least give people something for showing up other than, hey, here's some stale donuts and coffee, you know. Pizza. It's always pizza. Mm. Well, that too. I mean, pizza's great. Pizza's great. Donuts are great. It's just the idea that someone's giving up their time. It'd be nice to be able to at least throw something back and say, okay, well, here's a little bit of compensation for your time, you know. Oh, definitely. And that's, I mean, and, you know, it's, it's just professional. And, and, yeah, I mean, giving paying people for their time is always good, um, especially on film, especially on independent stuff where you're asking them to do you know, at normal, a 12-hour day, at best, 10-hour day, or at worst, 16-hour day. And that's still, you know, if you can whittle out 50, 100 bucks for that day, uh, it's, it's, it's something. I mean, it certainly doesn't fully compensate, but you're doing what you can, and you try to do that. And there's, yeah, and it, unfortunately, within film in general, unpaid internships or internships, uh, in general, or working for free, and I mean these kinds of things are very prevalent throughout it, and throughout a lot of arts and stuff. And that's just, it's very unfortunate, and it's, um, you know, yeah. I've seen a lot of things recently about that, and it goes back to if you went to a professional outside of arts, doesn't really matter what the professional is, and you go to them and say, "Hey, we want you to give up your." pay and come do this job uh, a lot of them would just look at you like you've lost your mind completely if they didn't just say security exactly there's actually a, just today actually i watched a there's a youtube video uh called say no to spec i think something like that or no to spec i think was the hashtag on it and it it uh basically did exactly that they actually went to real professionals um an architect a, a personal trainer a chef who literally told him to get the hell out of his restaurant. Um, and the guy literally asking, he's like, I want you to give me what you have, and I'm going to try it. And if I like it, I might buy more, but certainly at a discounted rate. And, like, actually doing what, I mean, what producers do, and uh, especially to, to writers in general, you know, working on spec, um, and editors and, and a lot of other artists, you know, in the many, many jobs within film, what they do. And it's, it's very unfortunate 
And at the same time, I mean, there's also, you know, working on tiny projects to get, um, you know, to get experience in doing them. I mean, I've done a bunch of small films for free, um, certainly within editing. And a lot of that had to do with, you know, getting footage. I mean, as an editor, you need something to work on um, and you need footage in front of you and to play with and make mistakes on and whatever, which is also great within digital world because you can do all that and as long as you don't mess with the original file, there's nothing you can really ruin. Um, so you can make as many variations or mistakes or whatever and play, and that's how you learn. So um, so it's it's really up to what you're willing to do and, and the, the, you know, the project that you're working on and making sure that, you know, if you are doing it for free, you're getting either the experience, the knowledge, the connection, or the, the thing out of it that you want, and it isn't destroying or sucking your soul completely mm-hmm. you know and that's the that's the tiring thing i mean really you know being on a project and, and working for free and then having it be just absolutely awful is really horrible <laughs> that's some of the worst experiences i've had in filmmaking so yeah there's certain times when things like that can happen and you end up with something that is not what you wanted in the first place and it's like okay well where do you go you know but i think you got to chalk it up to experience look at what you did and go okay well what can i learn from it if nothing else you know uh how did you get your start in film um huh i went to college for it i guess in a way i went to the university of redlands which has no film school uh, and I was there as part of a program called Johnson Center, which is an alternative ed program within it. If you ever, if you know about Evergreen up in Washington, it's kind of similar. They basically we create our own majors. Um, I ended up working in theater, um, as long as the art department and others to create my own film degree, um, doing video production, theater, directing and writing, uh, and then using photography and other video projects and art projects and stuff, um, as well as creative writing. Uh, which actually took me took me to the school originally was with creative writing. Uh, they have a great uh, University of Redlands has a great creative writing program, and I kind of just kept going with it. Um, and my final project there really got into editing, which I'd or- kind of gotten into a little bit while I was there, um, but really dove into Final Cut Pro while I was there um, on that on the last project, um, editing for about a month on this on a project. And that, you know, kind of sealed it, which I think had already been done a couple of years before that. But that was the the beginning. I mean, I, I can go further back into, like, just being an absolute film fan growing up. I mean, I was six years old, and Gremlins scared the crap out of me, and I kind of kept going from there, you know? And and it's always just, it was just always a thing, you know? It's what we did um, growing up in Newburgh. Uh, me and my friends would pile in a car and drive to Tigard Cinema and um, go see a movie. And um, and I had friends that were really big into film and stuff. And so, yeah. Um, and it just kind of kept going from there. And graduated from University of Redlands and was able to uh, stay in L.A. Got a job editing for a company for a little bit and then kind of bounced around as a PA and stagehand off of um, um a little tiny stage off where was it sunset and vine and area and just kind of bounced around for a while but yeah it's, it's film i don't know 
would you say it's better to start in Portland than LA with like trying to get into the film industry? I don't know. I mean, it really depends on what you want to do. LA, I, I think LA gave me a great respect for the business and the professionalism of it. Um, and the, the breadth of what the industry is. And I think if you're willing, if you want to play that system, if you want to go through that, I mean, you're, it's the place to be. If you want to, you know, do that and have the energy for it. And, and, you know, it's a, it's a full commitment to go down there and, and dive into that. And yeah, it's a world. Um, and you can get lost in it and you can do amazing work. And yeah, I mean, that's, that's, I mean, I, I stayed down there for, for that and then came up here, um, after about 15 years and, and, um, including school and mainly cause I liked Portland and I liked how, you know, it's much more dense than LA. You can get around it a lot easier and it's just a better community in general, you know, as, as far as creativity and stuff. I mean, it's the thing about Portland. I mean, we may make fun of it or, you know, whatever, you know, the keep it weird thing is that in Portland, it's not weird. Everybody else thinks it's weird here. It's not. And you can have a crazy idea here and it's not that crazy. It's not actually that weird unless you're really pushing it. Well, we have the guy running around on a unicycle in a Darth Vader costume playing bagpipes that shoot fire. So I don't think there's too much weirder you're going to get. We have a giant, I mean, I think we have the the biggest in the world naked bike ride every year. Right. We have a huge Santa Con, which is going to come up, I guess, I don't know what, in the next weekend or two, I think, um, which is a huge thing. I mean, if you've ever seen it, Santa Con is something to experience. Um, and, uh, um, you know, and it goes beyond that. And it goes beyond just like, hey, I've got, it goes to I have a crazy idea and there are people that won't look at you like you're insane you know there isn't oh my god that's so crazy that is wow that's a cool idea let's do it you know I mean like just think about you know Portland's beer scene I mean where that came from or the distilleries or I mean even talking about roller derby here in Portland that's how it started it was a couple people in a bar in 2004 going hey we should start roller derby and people going yeah let's do that like it's I mean to anybody else, it might be an insane idea, but for people here in Portland, it was like, yeah, let's do it. And now it's the biggest league in the world, and they just won the world championships. I mean, like, it's it's those kinds of things, and it goes even further, too. I just saw something else about, like, how Portland has exploded with um, MLS and the, the soccer, the Timbers um, fan base here in Portland is just rabid and, and amazing. And, you know, I mean... And much, much more than any other city has done. And that just goes to, you know, you know, Portland's ability to be like, yeah, we'll do that and commit and go all cool, all, all in. And, you know, and that goes over into film stuff and people wanting to do some crazy things. And, you know, if you've got a, a interesting or just some idea and have or have the passion behind it, you can find people here in Portland that will totally jump on. Um and you'll find you might also find people to call you crazy, but that's fine. There, there are a lot fewer here than you will find people in LA to call you crazy. That's for sure. The people I've uh, 
met here in Portland so far in the film world is uh, everyone's been extremely friendly. We've talked to people about the podcast. We've never had anyone just flat out say, nope, ain't going to happen. You know, everyone's excited about it and it's something different. So, I mean, we were just talking about this that so far we've had really good luck with getting uh, different guests on the show and we haven't had to worry about that. I think there's always that period when you bring up a concept to someone, especially if they don't know about it already, you go to them and say, hey, I'm doing this podcast. You want to come on and talk for however long, you know? And there's always that worry that this person's going to look at you like you're an idiot or go, don't waste my time. But that's not the way it is. You know, everyone so far that we've talked to has been really open to it. And, you know, it's this is a good area for that from what I can tell. Just people being open to um, coming on and doing their thing, you know. Well, I mean, I think that goes back to the community. I mean, there's a lot of support here. I mean, there's just, I mean, it's a small town. There are actually, I mean, within the film community, there isn't a whole lot of work, um, especially paid work. I mean, there's everybody that I know of, at least, there's very few that do film full-time. Um, and everybody's got some other day job or some other thing that they're doing, um, you know, on the side. And so it's, you know, you can't really discount anybody who's doing anything, for the most part. And you may not want to be necessarily involved in their project, but, you know, you wouldn't want to degrade or think less of somebody else's project just because they're doing something. And it's like, hey, all right, let's go. Do your thing. If you want to be a part of it, it's cool. If not whatever but it's such a small community that it's like hey you might as well there's enough support to do that and there's a few people kind of goes back to not burning bridges you know a little bit because you never know when you're going to be working with someone again because we've only done two things and we've worked with two or three of the same people already on both projects so it's like well this is a pretty small community for (laughs) yeah you know it was cool with the 48 hour just seeing how everyone was friendly and welcoming and how you were really helpful just to help me out with editing and all that <laughs> I don't know it just like even hey, in like a you did an amazing crazy. job on it and and helped us out and and like putting all of that stuff together you don't know how valuable uh, an assistant editor is until you don't have one <laughs> you know which is what I went through the year before you know, and getting into the editing and having to source everything suddenly and after doing 12, 13 hour a day without any sleep, basically. Right. So it's, it's having those little things is very important to do. And yeah, and 48 hour in itself is a learning experience. There are those that, that take it very, very seriously and put together full professional crews and craft service and whatever. I mean, all the way, whole nine yards. And that's cool. Like, great. If you've got the time to put that whole thing together, um, that I'd love to be able to do that, but at the same time, I also love what we've been doing, which is finding people completely that we have never met before going into the 48 hour and just winging it basically because yeah. it's a learning experience and throwing creativity and in, like into chaos. <laughs> it's really, and, and I'm, I'm a fan of chaos. Chaos and creativity make for some amazing stuff. You know, I probably came out with two or three other ideas that I loved that I kind of wrote down and was like, you know, maybe we'll expand on this later, whether or not in, in discussions and, and kind of debriefing from, from the weekend, we're probably going to approach writing differently next year. Yeah. <laughs> um, and be a little bit more, uh, egalitarian about it and just kind of 
lock it down so that that as much as brainstorming you pull up some really great ideas it also takes a little bit of time <laughs> i'd like to see how much we could actually save and, and whittle it down and, and get it as uh as lean as possible mainly also to save all the people you can um and get in your crew as much sleep as absolutely possible even if there's you know a couple of us who don't sleep the entire weekend you know i'd rather have two and not ten yeah you know on no sleep We'll see. I don't have. I have no idea. I may not even be in town on for the, this year's forty-eight for all I know, right now. Well, but. yeah, it was. It was a lot of fun. I was glad that we actually got a chance to work together on it because that was something that just came up out of the blue. And it's <laughs> like, oh wait, hold on, this could be interesting. And then that one didn't work out, and happened to run into you over at the meetup afterwards. And it's like, okay, well, there we go. You know. So were you you were on a team that didn't pan yeah, out? It there were issues that it didn't end up happening for that oh, team. Okay. So it was like that's why we were at the other meeting to yeah, yeah. Uh, see if we could find a crew there and it's like, okay, well there we go. <laughs> you know? yeah. It worked out and then we got a chance to work with the other person again mm. and we'll probably be working with them here in the future on a couple of things. Preferably not on a 48-hour, 72-hour, because <laughs> I think we want to actually have time to sit down and make something that we're wanting to make rather than forcing our minds into a very specific genre. And it forces you to be brilliant, but at the same time, if you're not brilliant, sometimes it can kind of not be as good as what it could be. You yeah, know? it forces you to rush. I mean, the, the, that's the nice thing about the 48 is you get to... It's jumped in. It's kind of you get that, you know, those, those couple of things, those genre and things, and you have a, a hard, hard deadline to get it out. It's nice to actually get through and complete something. And it's crazy and wild, and it's, you know, whatever. But actually, an actual production to be able to sit down and have storyboards and the time to take to over, you know, a couple weekends or more to sit down and actually shoot something and like something correctly and not just do something for speed. Yeah, I mean, that totally is worth taking the time to do, and it's actual production. Having a couple weeks or a couple months or more pre-production before going into something and and, and really being able to plan out and sit down and, and rehearse actors and these kinds of things. So, yeah. Yeah, the aspect of being able to shoot it in one weekend, I can totally see that happening, especially on a short. Hmm. But when you're trying to cram in everything from initial concept of even what it is all the way through editing and sound and the score and everything i mean the fact that as many people do it and get as much done as they do and some of them i've seen have been just incredible we did the guignol fest and some of those were just sitting there going how did you do that (laughs) the amount of time that you had and there's always one there's always one stop motion at least especially here in Portland, uh, where there are a lot of animators or stop-motion artists here in Portland. And they, there's at least one um, every year, uh, and those guys always impress me. And not only is there, um, you know, they complete a f- the full film, but they also do it very, very well. Um, those projects have won several years in the past. Yeah, it's, it's amazing to see what people can do in, in that period of time. And um, I know certainly this year we, we pushed our push our limits especially in the fully department with the uh, with specifically one scene where we needed to basically I eliminated all of the sound and remade all of the sound for it um which was really fun and cool and and um 
then a good lead into what we're doing with the the animated project and kind of figuring out what it'll take for us to to build the the sound design for that that project and and that's one of the reasons to do the project but having more time to do is good um even with a full project but again having that hard deadline is always good in both worlds because having a hard deadline in, in a full production is is nice on ed- especially on editing because then you 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 have a point where you have to stop tinkering working as an editor i mean i can play with your story for ever if i truly wanted to and so it's just a matter of like getting getting done with something that's one nice thing about it that i really liked about the 48 hour was you went from nothing mm. to the end of the weekend you have a short film done ready to go the next week you get to see it up on the big screen and to me that was like <laughs> super exciting because it's like the first thing I'd gotten to deal with and you know yep. there it is up on the big screen for everyone to see for all its glory <laughs> and all its flaws it's right there oh the mistakes then, yeah you know I look at it and I'm of course being in the uh, makeup part of it you know I'm looking at it going wow there's way too much yellow in that or there's way too much green or whatever you know oh yeah and i just look at it and i go well that bruise didn't look right the second time but okay whatever you know you just kind of go with it and yeah and you write down those lessons and you you hope that you can remember it on the next time around and um and the next production whatever that might be and uh you know yeah it's it's tough certainly watching your own work is not it's never i have a very hard time watching my own work and so especially in a crowd like that yeah it's not easy yeah, i see a I, lot of mistakes and i'm waiting for certain things i'm i'm more watching the audience and listening to the audience more than anything else so we um, were sitting next to you during it i kind of <laughs> noticed that and i felt bad for you but it was like well i'm gonna enjoy it for all this for what it is and just call it oh, good yeah. you know no I, i'm like i'm extremely happy with what we did this year i, I mean Certainly, I mean, your work, you know, the makeup stuff that you did this this time around was really cool and great that we, you know, and we had that and being able to add that in. And I mean, I don't think we really felt super rushed uh, most of the weekend. And the end product, I mean, I really loved. I mean, I can, that, the the death scene of West, you know, being beaten, I mean, I could just take that scene in itself and submit it and I'll be happy. Like, like that in itself was cool and and a lot of fun that, and so that was a lot of fun to oh, yeah. shoot and try and figure out how we were going to keep the blood off the camera and off the camera. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean that was basically in the uh, scene. What we had going on was West had tampered with Dana's bike and she got into an accident because of it, and she came back with the bicycle seat and proceeded to beat him about the head and shoulders until he was thoroughly dead. So as she's panning down into the towards the camera and there's blood spraying up, you know, I'm sitting on one side of the camera spraying blood and Tojo was doing the other side spraying the opposite direction. You've got blood coming up and I mean it was just one of those scenes that was weirdly surreal and you're like, <laughs> wow, I can't believe we're actually doing this. <laughs> it was cool. It worked really well and I mean Dana's expression was fantastic. The whole film was was a lot of fun, and yeah, I mean, they're looking back on it. I mean, I've written down a couple of things, and 
yeah, you always look back and be like, oh, I wish I could have done this one little tweak here or done something else, you know, involved with production in, in particular, not not editing-wise. But other than that, I mean, like, they're, I'm fully happy with what we did. So it was fun. It was a good weekend all around, yeah. actually. So Yeah, it was a lot of fun. And mm. the one thing that I wish we would have done, but we started shooting it before I thought about this, I'd gotten the makeup on her. You guys took her out to do the first scene of the movie with the makeup already on what I was thinking is she needed a couple scars since this was a repeated thing that they had done at some point she mm. would have had a scar or two somewhere and I was saying oh she needed to have a scar at least one good scar somewhere showing that this wasn't like the first time this had happened and the problem was we had shot the final scene first so there was no way I could go back and say oh yeah she had a scar there you know <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I don't know. I mean, like, there's, there's also that gets into more of like a, a, a backstory on the two characters that we had playing this game and whether or not it had escalated to that level or whatever before. Is this something new that had happened or some new escalation that had taken place? Which I don't know. <laughs> it's thinking way too much about a, a very short thing that you know. Yeah, it was fun though. It was uh, an experience. We both learned quite a bit from it, and oh yeah, just the ability to be out there and do something that uh, is then seen by people, and you get their immediate feedback on it once they see it, and it's like, all right, that worked, you know? Yeah. And so that's always really nice. And we also discovered the bonus of having a uh, clapper board because in the next thing that we did. For whatever reason, we didn't end up with a clapper board there, and so trying to go back through and look at all the uh, stuff to edit, you know. Yeah. Oh, they weren't they weren't marking the scenes. No. Ah. Uh, it was all over the place. But yeah. That's another story. Yeah, it's another story. But it... I've learned that marking the scenes it can be tedious and time consuming, and you feel like while you're in production, like you don't have time for that. You have one to get through, and you're like, oh well, we'll just it, we'll we'll know what it is. But man, taking that couple of seconds to have it marked makes so much of a difference when you're going to editing and having that, just that basic information to be like, oh, yeah, that's what that scene is. Okay. It's a, it's an odd lesson to learn, but yeah. <laughs> it was a benefit, though, because we actually got to see, okay, this is what it's like working with one. This is what it's like working without one. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, now I own one. So the next one we show up on is not going to be missing a clapperboard. You know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yep. I was wondering, like, what's your favorite aspect of film to work with, like, writing, editing, directing? My favorite is directing. And, I, I mean, that's just... Uh, it goes back to my <laughs> love of chaos, I guess. And it's just, I mean, it's much more uh, physical and working with production and, and, you know, that the energy that's involved in that and all the people that are involved in that is so much more... Uh, um, dynamic and, and fun to do and, and creating those things and actually, you know, getting interpreting what's on the page and actually making it real and being able to see it and, and mold it and, you know, it won't be you know, whether or not it's exactly like what you want because I've that's pretty rare to get that and takes a lot of, you know, takes being able to remove a wall quite possibly to get exactly what you want which is also the great thing, especially about independent film is 
you end up directing and you're like, well, this is what it's written, but this is the only location we could find. So here's what we're going to have to do. We're going to slightly tweak this scene and the cinematographer is going to have to sit up on top of that bookcase to try and get the shot that, because there's no other way or behind this couch and like curled up in a ball working the camera and the kind of stuff. And, and it just makes it like that journey to get the end product um, versus both writing, writing and editing are, are much more of a, a solitary certainly writing is an individual and, and a solitary thing it's in your head and uh, you know it's creative and kind of insane and crazy and it's rewarding to an extent i mean screenwriting in my opinion is the it's the most difficult form of writing in a way i can say that just because it's not you know any other writing you write it and you can give it to somebody and they can read it but for screenwriting, that's not the intent. It's intended to actually go get made. And, you know, you, you write something and people can read it, but that's not the end goal. The end goal is to actually have it realized. And it's so, you know, that that jump becomes such a, a struggle and be like, okay, how do we make it and get it forward? And then, you know, and getting that thing actually put up and done and, and then editing is a puzzle. <laughs> it's a million, million pieces and different... And a puzzle where you you have a script, but that's not what could be what the puzzle pieces are, yeah. you know? And you take all those puzzle pieces and, and then you add a whole bunch of more audio puzzle pieces and throw it all together and try and figure out what is the best story that's in front of you. I've worked with some people, but for the most part, it's, a, it's also a solitary kind of thing and and interesting i mean i love editing i've done it for a long time now and it's it's a lot of fun and cool but it also is um you know draining mm-hmm. you don't see the sun yeah. for a while well, i remember like kayla saying like oh we need to go feed him or, like, some water up there. <laughs> yeah i forget to eat sometimes yeah. a lot of times yeah I know just when i'm editing the podcast there are times i'll go all day working on editing because we do it even though it's a just audio I go through and clean things up quite a bit and so it takes quite a while since I'm still kind of learning the process and trying to pick up the speed on it so I'll go sometimes days of working on it and at the end of the day I'll go um when did I eat last you know or whatever and it's just it is what it is because I want to make sure that everything is perfect and so I get so focused on it that it's not you know I don't think about the silly little things like food and drink you know yeah Yeah, when my hands start to shake i get to a point where i'm like oh maybe i should go eat something or if i'm lucky enough like i was with the 48 there will be people that will be like hey uh you need to eat some food probably it's been 10 hours that's kind of yeah i'm i guess lucky (laughs) in a way that i do have that disposition i can sit in front of a computer for 12, 16 hours straight almost and, and barely flinch at it. It's what I do. <laughs> so where is it that you want to take your career with it? Are you wanting to do something bigger or have you really decided what you want to do? Um, Bigger would be cool. I'm in it to make movies and I want to make more of them. Uh, I'm trying to figure out how I want to do that um, after spending time in LA and, and working down there and I've come into a you know, personal questions of just how I want to do it and how I want my life to be and what exactly I'm in it for and and what I'm doing and I'm working on those answers. But yeah, I mean I've got 
a whole bunch of stories that I've kind of cobbled together here and there and am working on doing small versions of a lot of them. Some of them can be expanded into larger pieces, but right now I'm I'm kind of just aiming at what I want to do and what's fun and taking it from there um, and seeing, you know, what we can put together and, and, um, and where it goes, whatever, as long as I can keep making movies. Really all that matters to me. Well, I had heard a interesting thing. I listened to uh, quite a few podcasts. One of the movie ones I listened to, they were talking about if you have an idea overall for a bigger movie that you want to do a feature length, rather than just making random small movies until you can cobble together the money to make the big one, get everything mm-hmm. perfect in the world, they were saying that a good way to go about doing it is to put together several small films and short films and basically do them in acts or however you have to do it so you have the footage down you've got something you can show at the end of each of them, but then you can tie them all together and actually make a overall movie out of it also. Mm. You know? And I thought that was kind of an interesting way of looking at it because both of us have, like, tons of ideas of little things we want to do. And it's like, if we uh, started shooting it in a way that we had an overall story that Mm -hmm. we could go through... I think we could actually go with a larger movie at the end of it, but have several smaller ones that didn't take as much to shoot, and you don't have to figure out, okay, how am I going to pull this off with a 90-minute movie and, you know. Well, yeah, I mean, and and a difficult thing, especially at the independent level, is how do you keep a crew together? Should something happen and people either can't make it or drop out or whatever, can you, are you going to end up having to shoot around a character or what? Um, and I've seen that. I mean, I've known people who've spent, <laughs> you know, eight years making feature film because of stuff like that and having to do rewrites and then reshoots and more reshoots and then shooting again and just coming back. And, and that's great if you if you want to do that. That's fine. But, I mean, the other things that I've heard as far as say you have a specific story that you want to tell or a feature story, one of the best ways to, you know, work up to that is go and write or go make short films that are in that exact same genre. So if you have a sci-fi or a comedy or whatever, go make a bunch of comedy shorts and show that you can make comedy shorts. And taking those and, and going through festivals and doing stuff like that. And it shows you know anybody who wants to maybe invest that, hey, yeah, these are comedy things and I've got this, this feature that I want to do that's a comedy and let's go make this feature. And it also you know builds up those people who, you know, actors or whatever, that are in that genre film that you know you can work with and be like, hey, you know, transition it into that that piece. I like that idea better than what a lot of people end up doing is taking a feature and they go and make what is essentially a, a short, but what is usually more of a trailer, a long form trailer for that feature specifically. I've seen that a lot in film festivals in particular. Many of them are, are well shot and have decent size production value. Most of them are really poorly written and kind of thrown together in a way of a trailer. Very few questions answered. And as an audience member, I really hate it when I, <laughs> I go through a festival and I'm watching a short. I'm like, wait, this isn't a full story. 
This is a trailer that they're trying to make money to use to go get their to go make the feature based on this what I'm seeing on the screen and and sometimes that's cool especially within animated projects it's really hard to do animation as I'm into now and you know it's very expensive and difficult and time consuming and getting just a little bit out at a time is you know all you can do especially with a, or a trailer or something but on the whole you know I, I'd much prefer to see people making a full short and then wanting to go do something else than trying to make a, this cut together trailer as a proof of concept to go make their feature based on the same thing right um or if you have a if you have a feature and you know write it write it into a short you know just tell that 90 page story in 10 minutes can you do that and if you do that does it eliminate your feature or can you still expand and is there still enough to to fill in the rest of that story and that's you know it's up to you as the writer to to either figure out or your writer I don't know. That's that's how I approach it, and there are many many other ways. I'm sure every filmmaker could tell you another story <laughs> of how to how to get involved in stuff, and kind of depends on what works for you, in my opinion. And that's a big part of any type of artistic field. You have to find what works and go with that, whether that's the technically correct way of doing it or just what works for you. Because in the end, what matters is the product, not the behind-the-scenes everything that led up to it, you know? Oh, definitely. And, I mean, and how you feel about the product. It's your art. I mean, yeah, we make stuff for other people to view, but, you know, you're not going to please everybody. And in the end, you make the art to please yourself. And as long as you're happy with what you're doing, you know, I don't see any problem with that. So... (laughs) Do you make films like mainly for yourself or for the audience or both? I make stuff, I guess, for myself for the most part. I don't know. I come up with stories that I find either hilarious or weird, starting with some weird idea. And it's more my own, like, oh, that'd be really funny or that'd be really cool or whatever. And then trying to see if that actually would will make something interesting in the end. And it's it's I want other people to like it. I strongly do consider the audience's um, reaction. A guy I went to college with had the best philosophy uh, about the audience in a way. He said, hit them with a sledgehammer and they will love you for it. You know, hurt the audience, hurt them. And, you know, and I, I think that goes through all genres, in, in my opinion. You know, if you're comedy, hurt them, hurt them good and make them laugh till they hurt or anything else. And it's it's just that thing of affecting the audience. And that, I, I mean, especially as a filmmaker, you know, or theater or whatever, is wanting to elicit feeling from an audience member, you know. And I've had that certainly is in my head. And, and it's what, if I get an idea of something, it's like, oh, that'd be really cool. I'm like, how would that? Because I think it'll be really cool. I mean, I started as a fan. I love movies. I want to be affected by a movie um, and, and inspired or, or scared or whatever. And so taking somewhere, you know, that's the best things you can do. And so hopefully the ideas that make me laugh or giggle or think are cool, hopefully they translate to other people thinking them. <laughs> and sometimes that works and sometimes it doesn't. You know, I've failed in that aspect on more than one occasion. You know, tried something that just didn't work. Uh, I'm sorry, Bob. <laughs> you know. Well, it's said that we learn more from our failures than from our successes. Oh, indeed. You know? We know where not to go and what we need to fix and what we need to work on. Yeah. You try. I mean, it's an art. 
and sometimes you you stretch and try something else. And I mean, I'm talking to you, Mitch, about doing something which could totally not work. I keep thinking about it more, and I've actually been going over the script in the last day or so, and and trying to consider. I mean, the beginning's totally easy, but the rest of it. I mean, it's actual technical parts of this idea of of someone cutting their own skin off and having a different person underneath it, like a cocoon kind of idea. And um, but the cocoon is your own skin that could work or could be ridiculous. I don't know. And I think it just depends on how we do it and planning. And Yeah, and there's yeah. the technical side of it for me that I just look at and I'm going, <laughs> okay, i got to make sure before we do this, and this is why it's taken a while to get back to you on that, is, you know, the material I was using for making the casts out of just isn't working. Yeah. And I need something that is going to definitely work every time so that when I go to do the molds of each of these people that I'm not going to have to go back and go, oh, sorry, we got to do this again. No. I don't want that. Not to mention, no matter how we do it, for my part of it, it's going to be not exactly cheap, so I want to make sure we get it right the first time and don't have to go back and spend extra money that we don't need to. Yeah. You know? Well, and that's part of it. And, you know, trying to make sure that, you know, okay, what is what what cost will it be? And having never done it, I have no idea. I mean, that's such a it's a it's a uh, department I've never really had before. Really, um, I've never pushed that into that realm, and so which is also why I want to do it. I want to go into that and and see what it would take, and see how how the cinematography is going to work as well. Like how would that shoot, and how would that work? And and I think that I mean that also goes to how do you pick an idea? It's like not only. You know, that's a cool idea, but also how, what, what's the challenge in shooting that? Oh, that might be interesting. Like, ah, how, that's new. Let's, let's try to do something new, which is also, I mean, a great thing about the business in itself. It's got so many jobs and every job is different. Um, and every project is different. Um, and so it, it's, it's fun to bounce around and be able to be like, I'm not going to do the same thing I did yesterday. And <laughs> I, I know that's certainly is, been one of the most appealing things about the industry in itself. This is one of the few industries, I would say, to where you don't have to do the same thing you've always done. Mm-hmm. You can, and you can be successful in one field, and that's fine. But if you want to step outside of it, it's possible to step outside of it most you, of the time. I think sometimes people can get it, kind of pigeonholed a bit. Yeah, I mean, it, well, it takes... Uh, in a lot of ways, it takes starting over. You know, going back to the example of making shorts into the genre of the feature you want to make, that happens, especially with directors or writers. Well, you did the the comedy, and you make this comedy feature, and maybe you make another comedy feature after that. But you're like, okay, well, now I want to go make a sci-fi. Well, you kind of almost have to, with a lot of people, you have to start back over again and start and go back to making shorts. Uh, in that genre to prove that you can do that and a lot of things you know from art departments and PAs and everything else if you want to jump up department you're going to have to kind of start over to a point that you can prove that you can do that job especially on paid gigs and and other stuff and that's you know it's also one of the nice things about shorts and independent film is you can kind of bounce around a little bit more things like the 48 hour where you can pick up any job I mean there certainly are productions that like ours where okay you know how you have any experience in this no well okay sit down here and you're gonna do this now or here's a 
here's the here's the marker here's where you're going to write on it and stand in there and mark the scene or here's how to hold a boom pole those kinds of things and and that's that's one of the great things about independent film is you can make those changes and, and jump around and, and find what you like and you can either stick with it or jump to another one if you want on the next project depends on well i had that experience on the guignol but <coughs> i got to play in every field right down the line I mean, <laughs> it just it was a it was an experience you know yeah. and i i really enjoyed it it was one of those things that what we ended up with at the end of it needs some tweaking for it to be quite what we wanted but we also got to or i got to do the cinematography the <laughs> um part of the directing uh I forget what all, and then I was acting in front of it for one scene, too, so I mean, it's like, there were so many different fields that I got to go play in <laughs> that I never would normally even consider, and it was like, okay, that was a lot of fun, you know, even yeah. if it was not quite what I was wanting to be doing at the time, <laughs> it was an experience, you know? Oh, yeah. Do you have any advice for, like, aspiring filmmakers? I think the best advice that I've ever gotten is go shoot everything. I mean, depending on what you want to do, I mean, your cell phone can shoot just as fine. Um, it's not about the equipment. You really don't need a lot. You can say that, oh, I need this, I need this. It's not really true. And there's so much you can do with very little these days, especially with digital. I would say go shoot everything. Go make up scenes and have the footage you can play with on iMovie or whatever whatever piece of software you can find and use and beyond that as far as like directing stuff you know another thing that was told to me was make a short a month if you can do that by the end of 12 months you'll be getting paid to do it and i've heard that from several people if you can put that together if you can do 12 shorts in a in a year one a month yeah that's that's putting a production. I mean, that's kicking them out, and so, and that's really it. I mean, it's going and making stuff, using all the resources, and looking into every bit of resource you can. Here in Portland, Northwood Film Center, you know, there's a lot of places that you can go to to get you know equipment for pretty good rates. I think that's, that's what I got. I don't know. Cool. That's good advice, yeah. though. I, mean, I actually, of course, you know, I'm still new at uh, a lot of this. So I mean. I haven't had a chance to talk to too many people, but I haven't heard that advice before. Just put something out new every month. Mm -hmm. You know, that's a interesting piece of advice, and it actually kind of rings true for me because it just seems like by the end of that twelve months, you're going to be putting out stuff that's far and away better than the stuff you started with, and you're going to have all of that experience to back it up. You know, yeah, that's and it's really it, good. It, and it, you keep those experiences. Every production will teach you something, and it rolls you so that that next production, you know, is right on top of you. And you can get, you know, you can finish one thing and get into another one, and keep the lessons that you had at that last production, and take them into the next one, and not make the same mistakes, and make all new mistakes that then you can correct in the next production. And they're not, you know, so spread out that you kind of lose those and you lose momentum. And and that's the thing, you know, personally that I I try. I'm trying to get away from, but it's tough. You have day jobs and responsibilities and other things and, and life itself. And so, so yeah, so it's a matter of putting your stuff together and trying to figure out how to do that. And I think that in itself figures out a lot of things as well. So, um, and, and what you want to do.
Do you have a website or anything that you want to give out? Vimeo.com slash Alan Van Arts. A-L-L-E-N-V-A-N-A-R-T-S. Alan Van Arts. And that's the Vimeo website. It's got my reel on it. And, yeah, you can send me an email at alanvanarts at gmail. Okay, and we'll put a link up on the uh, show notes for that so that people can easily go check it out and you can see the... uh, short that we were talking about now open yes now open is on there as well as uh as well as the one we did the year before that diamond heart i believe something. yeah <laughs> i'm pretty sure that's what it yeah, is with, i like uh, that one that was pretty cool with west and leroy yeah yep that was a fun one well i think that about wraps it up thank you for coming on well thank you for having me yeah we'll have to uh do it again at some point <laughs> because felt like we we're just kind of getting into it and then, <laughs> oh look it's uh it's time to go <laughs> i know i had more questions later another time cool oh man let's talk about film this week stephanie and i are gonna review the movie die hard probably one of my absolute all-time favorite movies i love it as a christmas movie or in the middle of summer it doesn't really matter to me so it's been one that since I watched it for the first time when I was probably 14, 15, something like that, uh, I've seen it a insane number of times, and it's just one that I've always enjoyed. It's a good, solid action movie. You've got the uh, drama in there, you've got the action, you got the humor. It was unlike anything I'd seen before at that point. It's definitely one of my top five and probably number one if I had to really sit down and think about it. You want to know how many times I've seen Die Hard? Once, other than uh, this time around? I don't know. I still, it's, it's, it's a great movie. It just, uh, I'm no Mitch. Yeah, we're not going to mention the number of times I've seen it. We uh, added that up today and... That's a uh, unhealthy number of times. <laughs> uh, overall, I really like Die Hard just for... There's something that really clicked with me from an early age. I really love the humor in it. And you've got the humor, the dangerous situations, the action, the gunplay, everything. I love it. John's a cop from New York. He uh, comes to L.A. to see his family. His wife and he are separated. She got a great job. He's not supporting her as much as he should. She moved to L.A. for the job. And he stayed in New York. You know, he says, well, it's because of all the backlog of uh, criminals I've got to try and put away, blah, blah, blah. But... That's what it is, blah, blah, blah. It's not factual. He's just not being supportive as a husband, you know. So, what we have is John coming in for Christmas, come see the wife and kids. And she's at the company Christmas party on Christmas Eve. He shows up, and shortly thereafter, so do the bad guys. You know, they don't claim to be terrorists in there, but that's basically the way they're acting. So you've got bad guys taking over a building, and John manages to escape wherever it all goes down. 
which allows him to get to a unfinished floor and begin the process of slowly taking back the building on his own. He's given some advice from a fellow traveler right at the beginning of the movie to, if he wants to relieve the stress from flying, get where he's going, take his shoes off, and make fists with his toes in the carpet. And do that for a few minutes and it'll take away all the stress of flying. I've tried it a few times. I'm not sure that it works quite that well, but it's not a bad idea. However, he's barefoot throughout the whole movie because he listened to the guy's advice. So, you know, when you're on a plane and a random stranger gives you the advice to take off uh, clothing, well, might not be the best idea. You know, I don't know. Well, he was relieving stress from uh, his relationship. They were not getting along, and he was being rather childish about the argument. Because uh, she's using her maiden name rather than her married name. Because it's a Japanese corporation, she feels that it wouldn't look good to the company if she is married, but her husband isn't in the same area. You have that tension, and of course, she gets called out to go do a speech for the troops, and... That's when the terrorists come in and take over the building. And being barefoot throughout the whole movie, this is one of my scenes that I really enjoy. At one point, you have Hans, the main bad guy, and a couple of his henchmen, and they're trying to shoot John McClane, and they can't quite hit him, so... They decide they're going to shoot out the glass in this room. That way as he runs across the glass, he's going to get his feet all torn up and it'll slow him down. Now, one of the things I really like about that scene is if you look at John's speed as he's running across the glass, he has oddly hobbit-like feet. And that's because he actually has shoes on that are basically large rubber feet that go over the top of his feet so he can uh, run on the glass and not get cut up. So I thought that was kind of a cool little thing and unless you're thinking about looking at his feet in that scene you wouldn't uh, really notice it. You know I've seen that movie quite a few times before I knew that. I always thought his feet looked kind of odd but I never quite figured out what it was until later when I was able to listen to the commentary. And then, of course, after that, they have a rather nasty little scene that still makes me cringe to this day where he's pulling glass out of his feet. And, you know, that's a very uncomfortable scene for me. I don't like my feet being messed with. Directed by John McTiernan, he's done quite a few really good movies. Predator, Die Hard, Hunt for Red October, Medicine Man, Last Action Hero, which was, eh, it was what it was. He also came back to Die Hard for the third movie, Die Hard with a Vengeance. And then did the uh, 13th Warrior, Thomas Crown Affair, Rollerball, and basic and so he's uh directed quite a few things i think he has a 
um, very good style about his uh, work. So um, that's quite a list of movies. Actually, most of them are ones that I like. And even though they're not in my constant rotation, there's still ones I'll go back to. Or if I see them on TV, you know, I'll sit down and watch it. I go back to Predator at least probably once or twice a year. You know, go check that one out again. They seem to have a steady rotation of uh, certain movies I really like. And a lot of them are the action movies. But that's kind of what I grew up on. So we got Bruce Willis as John McClane. Alan Rickman as Hans Gruber. Reginald Vell Johnson as Sergeant Al Powell. And Clarence Gilliard as Theo. Uh, these ones were the ones that I've seen in the most other things. But I'm sure some of the other ones have been in just as many things. I just haven't personally seen them. Alan Rickman, who is in the Harry Potter movies. and He's been in Love Actually. He was, he was in Dogma. Dogma was another one that I really liked him in. And then... He was also in uh, Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. He played, I can't think of the robot's name, but the depressed Marvin, the depressed robot. I really liked him in that one. I still have to see that, I guess. Yeah, it's it's pretty good. If you like the books, it's really good. Uh, Alan Rickman's been in everything. Every time I turn around, I see him in something new, and I go, oh, hey, that's Alan Rickman again, you know? Reginald Bell Johnson was Carl in Family Matters. That's how I know him. Like, whenever I would see this movie, I'd call him Carl. I mean, of course, I only saw it once, but, like, whenever I think about it or whatever, I'd be like, there's Carl, he's a cop again, you know. He he was like, this is how we started, Carl, you know, save the day and die hard. And then, boom, he's in Family Matters, saving the day again by kicking out some nerdy kid all the time. Um, and then the other one of interest was, uh, Clarence Gilliard, and that was mainly because I remember him as James Trevett on Walker, Walker. Texas Ranger. Yeah, I loved that show when I was growing up. Again, it's the same kind of thing. You have one or two main people who are taking on the world and, you know, kicking butt, so. Chuck Norris. Can't top that guy except, you know... Bruce Willis. I don't know. Or Jean-Claude Van Damme. But we're talking about Die Hard, so... Bruce Willis, you know. Well, but that does bring up another subject there. Die Hard was the beginning of the main really big push to have one man versus the world kind of movies. You'll hear the movie trope, Die Hard in a boat. Die Hard on a Plane. That's because a lot of movies have that same trope. It's you have one man versus all of the terrorists. They're all coming after that one guy. He's trying to save hostages usually. And he's the one that is going to come in and save the day and hopefully not die at the end. Or die hard. (laughs) 
So you have Die Hard on a bus, Speed. Die Hard on a on a on a ship, Speed Two. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> it was on a cruise ship, and it was terrible. Sandra Bullock was no. in it. It was so no. bad. No, but no. you're you're talking no, about something no. else. I know. Speed Two does not count at all. It was so bad. It was so bad. No, I never trust a uh, sequel to a movie. They can't get the main character back. When they can't get that same actor back as the main character, I don't trust the movie. I know that it's going to be bad because Speed was a huge movie. So why weren't they able to get uh, Keanu Keanu back? I don't know. Maybe because it sucked. And they got Jason Patrick instead. Michael from Lost Boys. You know, he's... uh, you know, well-known action star. Uh, not really. I'm being sarcastic. That was a bad pull, and the the premise of it could have been it could have been a good movie. Wasn't. Uh... But it failed. Okay, but Die Hard on a boat, and the movies I'm talking about are the movies that actually were fairly good successes as a. Die Hard ripoff, basically. So, Die Hard on a Boat, Under Siege. Yep, I knew it. That was an awesome movie. That's one of my other probably top ten favorite movies. And Steven Seagal, like him or hate him, in that movie, it was good. I liked him up to a certain point, then he started having movies that I just... Even I, who is a big Steven Seagal fan could not tolerate some of his movies and that's a bad sign. That's showing that your uh, career is kind of going downhill a little bit. I just can't look you in the eyes anymore. Okay, I'm done. Well, but you also have to look at kind of like with Die Hard, you had a lot of people who were big at the time or would become big. So you had good actors in it. In Under Siege, same thing. You had a huge supporting cast of pretty well-known people who were backing up Steven Seagal. And so it wasn't just all him to carry the entire movie, which was probably good because, you know, honestly, his acting skills aren't the best. He's there for the action part of it. But when you can surround the movie with very good actors all the way around, it's better, you know. Or let's be honest, you know, it wasn't nominated for Best Film of the Year, I'm quite sure. But it was still a good movie. It was definitely better than a lot of them I've seen out there. Speed 2? Well, yeah, I agree. <laughs> uh, you don't have to... Yeah, no. But then again, Under Siege did Under Siege 2, and it succeeded just about as well as Speed 2. It sucked. It shouldn't have been made. It was offensive. I mean, it was just bad. So, there you go. Um, I wasn't going to mention Die Hard on a Train because I felt that it was just a bad movie. So, uh, so Die Hard on a Plane, you had Air Force One. That was uh, another really good movie. I liked it. It's awesome. Yeah, and it's the same concept as the other Die Hard in a prison or Alcatraz. That was The Rock, another really good movie. Die Hard on a Mountain, Cliffhanger. That was uh, Rocky, 
Sylvester Stallone on that one. That was an okay movie. It wasn't great, but it uh, was definitely fun and watchable for the time, you know? I haven't seen it. <laughs> that doesn't surprise me. There's other movies in this list that you should see first if you haven't seen them yet. Yeah. So, Die Hard in Space, you had Fifth Element. Yeah, but it was the best Die Hard in Space in the world because it's one of the best movies in the world. And it's Bruce Willis again. And then Gary Oldman, well, I mean, he was in Air Force One, but Gary Oldman is awesome. And that movie's awesome. It's one of the best movies ever. Ha! Huh. Not a huge fan. What? Who are you? <laughs> Yeah, that's one of the movies I, I've seen it a few times, and it's okay. It's just not one of my top favorite movies, you know. I don't know you. Yeah, I know. I know. I don't know. I mean, I could talk about, I could write an essay on that movie. I could write a couple essays on that movie, just about my thoughts about it. You know, and I have the quotes that I like that... You know, of course, there's the obvious ones, but there's ones I'll say to see if if someone's a true fan, where I'm like, do you want some more? And it's the robot, you know, at the bar, because that young apprentice priesty guy was like, I can't do it, oh, I chickened out, and he's like, the robot's like, do you want some more alcohol? Well, he didn't say alcohol, but he didn't want some more, and yeah. Because <laughs> everyone says multi-pass, or... or uh, I forgot the other ones right now. but Yeah, there's all kinds of ones that I'm not a huge fan of the movie, and I even know them. I know the reference, so it's nice when you can pull something out of a movie that is going to be only recognized by the people who are actually into that movie and who have seen the movie more than just in passing one time, you know, which I've seen a few more than that, but... I saw it in theaters. They should re-release Die Hard just for you, Mitch. That would be amazing. I would love to see Die Hard on the big screen. So if anyone's listening out there who can make that happen for me, you know, now you have a uh, Christmas gift idea. Or Actually, my birthday's coming up, too, so... Me, too, but that's another story. <laughs> Last one I was going to mention is Die Hard at the White House. That was Olympus Has Fallen. And that one was... I don't think it was as big of a success as some of the other ones. But it was still a pretty good movie overall. You know, it was watchable. Definitely uh, one that I've seen a couple of times. But not as much as most of the other ones by any means. Well, isn't White House Down? Like, didn't they come out near the same time? I didn't see either one, but I felt like they were kind of similar, right? They're trying to get the president out of the White House because there's someone coming. Oh, no, they're going to get killed. One of them's like Channing Tatum and Jamie Foxx, I think. And the other one's Morgan Freeman. And I don't forgot who was in that one. Yeah. Well, and then you have Air Force One. It's let's rescue the president from a plane in midair, you know. But he don't need no rescuing. He can do it himself. Yeah, pretty much. And so there's all these movies that have taken that same trope and ran with it. And it works out pretty well for a lot of movies. It can also work out pretty lousy if you don't do it well. It's such a well-used trope at this point that you actually do have to be careful with it or else 
eh, you're just pretty much going to put out the same movie that we've already seen like a thousand times now. Well, I guess every Vin Diesel movie is kind of like yeah. it's getting it's getting out of control with Vin Diesel. I mean, he's probably a really cool guy, but seriously, like he was even in like The Pacifier trying to make a family film out of his action Jackson like really man and then there was like a goose or a duck or something that was their pet i don't know i saw that with my dad but whatever like seriously this is my tiny rant on vin diesel like well with using vin diesel i mean what they did like a sequel to the riddick movie there was the riddick movies i sure there i guess people like them i I just, everyone has their own opinion. Um, but yeah, uh, that's totally not Vin Diesel. But you know, uh, like the new one that he was in, I didn't even have the sound on. And I was watching the trailer with him as like some monk person thing, something. And it was like, it seemed kind of interesting at first. I'm like, what? He's like a monk? And then it's like, no, he's in the future. And all this stuff. And he's the action. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I'm like, and I didn't even hear anything. I just saw it. I knew I didn't need the sound. I didn't want to hear the sound on this. It was... <laughs> It was just like, really, they're just using and abusing Vin Diesel. Now he's just bringing in the cash. I don't know. Well, one thing I was thinking of was it's it was all meant to be. If it wasn't for the entire movie, including all the explosions and gunfire and all the taunting done by John McClane to Hans Gruber and his men... Him and his wife would never, ever get back together. It had to be done. All of it. All the excessive stuff, you know, it had to be done. I'm just joking, but no. Uh, but no, I mean, it, 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 was, it was good because, you know, he got to prove to her that he really, you know, cared about his family and about her and that he was a really good person. That, you know, he was fighting for his family and in the end he won her heart you haven't seen the whole series have you no (laughs) the same basic thing happens in number two they broke up they get back together they're in an airport in number two which i really like that one die hard one was better and then die hard three They're broken up, and he hasn't talked to her in, like, six months or whatever. By the uh, fourth one, I think they've basically kind of given up on the trope to a certain point. And then we don't talk about the fifth Die Hard, because that movie wasn't a Die Hard movie. I don't know what it was, other than a travesty. And I will get very irritated if we start talking about that. So, um, it goes back and forth. He, they get back together and then break up and then get back together and break up. I think it's a character flaw thing that they felt they really had to stick with. Because he gets her back, but when it comes right down to it, he's the same person. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> you get him outside of the heroics. Yeah, outside of that and away from the immediate danger. And eventually he goes back to just being John McClane. Yeah. 
which is kind of a jerk, you know? Right. He's he's the uh, guy who gets into trouble at work all the time for uh, doing things his own way. And most of the time, in the real world, that doesn't work. You know, you can't go around being a cowboy all the time. Society's not set up for that. We have to follow and be... Um, follow the rules to a certain extent otherwise society would fall into chaos pretty much if everyone had to be the hero of their own story and go out and do the heroic thing eh, there'd be a lot more chaos than what we want so he's that guy who always is the heroic one and In your normal everyday life, the heroic thing is saying, okay, no, I need to get off work so I can go take care of my kids or date night or whatever, taking care of your wife, you know, things like that. And so I think there's an element to that relationship that just does not allow for a conducive family life. Especially with his job being a cop. Yeah. I mean, the kind of cop he is, <laughs> as you said. Yeah, rough and tumble, and, you know, he's he's a very, uh, the impression I get wherever he is out there is just he's kind of a jerk, a cool jerk, but kind of a jerk. But then wherever he's put into these uh, unusual situations where you have everything in the world going wrong, he's the one who doesn't fall apart. He's the one who can keep going until the bad guys are all dead, you know? Which, that's where you need that particular personality type. (laughs) Uh, Another thing that I thought was kind of cool, I found this out on the commentary, is there were a couple of scenes that were shot in Holly's office, and in the background you can see a uh, cityscape and pretty cool sunset going on. Well, spoiler alert, that's a painted backdrop. And apparently that same backdrop, when they got done shooting Die Hard, they looked at it and said, well, that's a really cool backdrop. They put it in the uh, warehouse, wherever they keep it. And that backdrop is apparently still used on different TV shows and movies because it just... Is such a uh, good-looking backdrop and interesting. So, you know, when you get to that point and you see the uh, backdrop in there, you know, you'll see it in a lot of other movies and TV shows, too. Yeah, so uh, the guy that played Al wasn't the only thing that was in Die Hard and Family Matters then, huh? No. (laughs) Uh, That would have been kind of cool if they used that. (laughs) They may have. Who knows? Yeah. Now, back whenever I was in my film class back in high school, this should kind of give you guys an idea of the level of devotion I have to this particular movie. Um, I'd seen the movie maybe three or four times at that point. Maybe five or six, let's be honest. But I was in the film class. I really loved the movie. I wanted to really do something interesting for my final in the film class. And one of the things I had in mind was doing a 
model of the Nakatomi Towers. And my concept for it was a model of the buildings, John McClane coming off the side on the spool of fire hose, and Al's police car down off the side, all shot up and dinged up and everything, you know. And that was what I wanted to do, which was such a huge uh, concept at that point. And unfortunately, I never had the chance to make it because of various situations, but a lot of it was money. And at that point, there wasn't a Michaels around the block or a Dollar Tree where you could go get stuff super cheap to build something like that. I mean, it was all going to cost a bunch of money, so it was like not something that we could afford to do. And I ended up shooting something else, and that was little commercial with my nephew and that ended up being pretty good got a good grade on that but my initial thing was going to be a mock-up of the uh, Nakatomi Towers from this movie that's a little fun fact about me in this movie okay so as you get into the movie a big thing that you see is John getting more and more and more beat up and frantic through the whole movie because everything just keeps getting a little bit worse, a little bit worse, a little bit worse. When this is all happening, you know, he's got to try and deal with the fact that Holly, his wife, is also in the building and being held hostage by these people. He's got to kind of push that off to the side and focus on the problems at hand that just keep coming one after another. But one side part of the movie that I liked was they had the interaction between John McClane and the police sergeant Al Powell, which I thought added a little bit of a needed buddy cop movie theme to it, but also a little bit of humor. You know, they start talking about the Twinkies or whatever. So each time you'd see a major battle scene and everything, then you would go and you'd get back on the radio, get a hold of Al, and they would talk about what was going on. And then they would kind of relieve stress, joking back and forth, you know. Themselves to each other, just about Al's wife, you know, being pregnant. And about John... Well, you know, he wasn't sure if he was going to make it and just kind of pouring his heart out about tell my wife this and that, that I'm I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah. Well, and then also with Al, you have the backstory that you get about him uh, shooting a 13-year-old kid whenever he was a rookie. And so at that point, he went on desk duty and he never went back out into the field after that. He couldn't bring himself to draw his gun on anyone because of uh, the incident that happened wherever he was a rookie, you know. I think his line in the movie is, they can teach you a lot of things as a rookie, but what they can't do is teach you how to live with a mistake. And so you have that whole thing and you kind of get a perspective of why it is that he's... uh, a desk jockey rather than being out on the street. Although, I've watched this movie, again, an insane number of times. Something that just occurred to me while we were watching it tonight that I hadn't thought of before is 
if he's a desk jockey, why is he driving a marked police car? That was kind of a goof in there that I don't think was ever brought up really. Um he wouldn't have if he wouldn't have a patrol car if he was a desk jockey. But you know, it worked. That's just there's little things like that that are kind of uh flaws in the um overall plot, but you're gonna have that in any movie. You know, if you pick hard enough you can find Something that's not going to quite fit right. That's a small enough thing I'm willing to forgive him for it, you know. Not to mention I love the movie, so. Also, Theo, uh, Clarence Gilliard. I really liked his character. He kind of went back to the comic relief aspect of it. He was the computer guy in there. And he had some really cool one-liners. And he was never part of the actual action and fighting for the most part but he had a sense of humor through the whole thing and all of the uh, bad guys are I don't know Eastern European uh, they don't really say where they're from but you get that kind of general feel of the whole thing and then he's an African American with this group and He's like the oddball out of them, you know. And they have him there, of course, for his uh, uh, computer skills. He basically doesn't do anything else, you know. And I think he's probably got some of the best one-liners out of the whole movie. Oh, look, the police have themselves an RV. Or uh, from that same scene, I absolutely love after they blow up the... Uh, police truck that's ramming the building he says and the quarterback is toast and I just I love it it's so random and so non sequitur and so just so much fun that it it just makes the movie a little bit lighter than what it could be if it was just a robbery movie where people are dying you know that could be a really negative movie but they try and make it a little bit fun and uh, lighten everything up a little bit. I kind of found him annoying. I'm sorry. <laughs> but, you know, it's, it's okay. I I haven't seen it as many times as you. I would say, you know, Die Hard definitely still holds up this day and age. Because it's not like they're all like, here's this that's from the 80s and this and this and this. And it's like, whoa, you're... There's a couple things, but it's like, eh, it doesn't even matter to me anyways. With like, oh, here's a cassette player and all that. Playing run dmc christmas music you know their song that was actually the first time i'd ever heard them and while that's not my kind of music i kind of liked that song that they were playing with the santa claus thing in there i don't know what the name of the song was right off but i thought that was kind of a cool little bit of christmas music that personally i'd never heard before but mind you i grew up out in the country and malala so i mean that's not my type of music you know (laughs) But yeah, I still think it holds up, definitely. You know, you could watch it any time, uh, or at any time period, you know, since it came out. Like, it works. There's a timelessness to it, other than a couple of references. You have a cassette player, you have, they mention a VCR. Some of the phones are, like, really 80s old phones, but, you know, for the most part, everything was really, uh... 
kind of timeless. You know, if you actually go outside of the limo, which the limo also has a car phone, which was a huge thing at that time. The car phone is basically a house phone hooked up to a box. I mean, so it's got the cord and everything on it. And yeah, he's cool. He's sitting in there talking on the car phone. My big thing is if he was talking on it for that long, someone's paying like 500 bucks for that phone call. I mean, it, it was expensive. Another thing I wanted to bring up about it, though, is the Christmas music that they played throughout the movie really kind of added to the whole um, feeling of the movie overall and bringing it back to a Christmas time period. Uh, a lot of people don't think that Die Hard's a uh, Christmas movie. It just happens to be done at Christmas. But they pulled in some good Christmas music on important scenes. Uh, when the vaults are opening, they're playing Ode to Joy. And I cannot hear that song without thinking about the Die Hard movies, you know. They did a really good job of uh, encompassing that. And, of course, there's probably my favorite scene... Um, after John takes out the first terrorist, he uh, sends him down in an elevator, has a Santa hat on the body, and has, now I have a machine gun, ho, 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 written on the guy's sweatshirt. <laughs> and it's just so off-kilter, you know. And it's something you're not expecting, but it's a fun way to just tie in Christmas to the whole movie. And I thought they did a pretty good job of that. In one scene, after the building's been blown up, you see a, uh, he's down in the lobby and the elevator comes down, it explodes, which knocks over a Christmas tree. And whenever the Christmas tree falls over, John jumps, spins around, he's got his gun pointed at the Christmas tree. And it's one of those things where it's just a little subtle thing, but it really ties Christmas into the whole overall picture of the movie even though it could totally be set in any time of the year but I really like that they actually did tie it into Christmas well I did like that you mentioned when it ended with all the the paper money whatever flying around from the building kind of was floating out there for quite some time a little bit too long but you're trying to say like oh they're kind of emphasizing snow in a way and i could see that because it was in la so no snow there so there's your snow it's it's snowing money kind of yeah it was uh snowing all this paper coming out which up until maybe i don't know a year ago i had always assumed that those were the bearer bonds that the whole movie was talking about the paper that's coming down is all copier paper, it's all blank. And you've got a couple different colors of it, but mainly white coming down, and so it looks like it's just raining money on everyone because you've got all these bearer bonds that, like $600 million in bearer bonds that they stole, and then you have all this paper coming down, so your brain tells you, oh, this is all the money floating down, and no. I noticed it, and it was like, oh, that's kind of sad. They they should have uh, actually gone through and at least the ones that are close up to the camera had those printed out so they look like the bearer bonds. You wouldn't have to have much detail on it, but print up those and sprinkle those while the camera is uh, 
on the people in front, and then you'd think, oh, well, the whole thing is this same thing. It is a cool scene because you have them down there, you see the building burning in the background, and as they're riding off into the sunset in the limo, they start playing Let It Snow, and so you get that whole feeling, you know, you've got the paper snow coming down, and yeah, I really, I liked that. It was kind of a cool way to do it, but that paper was falling for a long time because they were up in the building where it exploded. They were down in front, and they were basically finally leaving. That's got to be some time, and all these papers are still falling from the building. Eh, maybe, maybe not. I don't know. That's a lot of paper, though. And one thing I remember thinking about that every time I look at it is I'm watching that, and I'm thinking about it from a filmmaker point of view, and I'm thinking... I don't want to be on the cleanup crew of that. That's a lot of paper that you're gonna to have to you're gonna to have to clean up, you know. Almost about as Times Square on New Year's Eve or something. Yeah. Yeah, those guys uh those guys are busy. One of the scenes that always kind of uh always kind of bothered me. It's a quick little scene, but you have John in an elevator shaft and he's using the strap of the uh, machine gun that he has to lower himself down into the elevator shaft and he's trying to reach this other section and to me that scene it bothers me every time because how stupid would you have to be to climb into an elevator shaft and have maybe three feet of cord be as far down as you're going to get obviously you're going to fall. It's just dumb, you know. And he manages to catch himself on one of the ledges, but that kind of always bugs me too because he catches with basically just the uh, maybe three inches of his hands. And it's like, mm, I don't think you'd be able to grab your full body weight at a drop and do it. But, you know, there are certain things you just kind of got to give up and say, okay, we're going along with it. It's a fun movie, so we'll forgive this little uh, tidbit there, you know. It's kind of cool with that one dude <laughs> that he played Genghis Khan in Villain Ted's Excellent Adventure. That's how I know him. Like, it was Genghis Khan, right? Yeah, yeah. He was really not in the movie a whole lot, but the one scene where he's in the movie is he's down in the lobby... They're trying to break in. The police are. They're getting ready to start cutting. And before this, as you see him getting set up in the in the lobby and getting prepared for the police to try and make an incursion into the building, he's next to a display case with a bunch of candy bars in it. And he gets everything up there. He's pulling out clips and, you know, he's making a pile he's ready for these guys and he looks down and he sees all these candy bars underneath him these are terrorists who have been in the building have already killed a few people and he uh he's looking down at the candy bars and i love the choice that they made with this i don't know if it was an actor's choice at the moment or if this was planned out, whoever did it, though, was brilliant. 
with everything going on, he's looking down at those candy bars. He kind of looks over his shoulder, looks back, kind of does a double take to make sure no one's watching him, and then he starts stealing candy bars. And I just love the fact that of all the things that he's done to this point to get where he was at, stealing a candy bar is what he's looking over his shoulder about. I just, I loved that scene so much. It was one of those that just kind of, it brought the humor to the movie that it really needed. But I thought almost all of the characters were interesting in some way. Holly was a very strong character, very outspoken, didn't bow down to anyone. Hans was very business savvy is what he kind of wants to put out there and he knows what's going on in the world and everything but at the same time I've got control over everything that's going on then you have Ellis who just plays this basically just an arrogant uh loud mouth I know everything way too cocky for his own good character you know all of the characters in the movie had something unique about them and something that made them stand out from the crowd. Other than, like, you have the mass of hostages. Most of those are just hostages. But the ones who actually had speaking roles, almost all of them had some unique personality trait that made them memorable, you know? You could go down through the whole cast and say, oh, this person was interesting, that person was interesting. The terrorists, I mean, you could point out some of them, I guess. I mean, well, the ones that had bigger parts. I mean, there were some that I was like, who was that? Like, they, a lot of them were blonde, so it was hard to, like, say, oh, did that guy already die? Oh, I thought he died, but of course, Carl. I mean, Carl, duh. You know, he's gonna, he stands out. Well, right. Most of them, they wanted, um... I think, honestly, to look alike so that they didn't really stand out that much so that the ones who were important to the film would stand out. Oh, there was one scene that I liked a lot was when one of the terrorist dudes was trying to... Was he hooking stuff up to, like, uh, like the power or something? Yeah, he was... Uh... Like the wiring, with the wiring yeah. and the um, phone cables, or yeah. something. And it's not exactly <laughs> okay. clear, but... but I guess he it sounded like he said he was ready. I don't know why he said that. And then Carl's like, "Okay," and then started with a chainsaw. And the guy was like, "Oh my god!" Had to like hurry up and sweat bullets while he's trying to get everything finished and got finished in time because he would have been electrocuted. I'm guessing if anything, but it was just like, Carl didn't care at all. That was his person. You just Right off the bat, you get to see what kind of person Carl is, even though he's, you know, just one of the, he's not just one of the henchmen, he's, he's Carl, he's out for revenge, killed his brother. At that point, that hadn't even happened yet, so you can just see what kind of a person he is. Yeah. He just doesn't care about anyone but himself, and so... He's got something to do. He's going to do it if you're ready or not. But yeah, the main characters throughout it, I really like that they gave them all personality. Even right down to when Al was in the uh, the gas station store, 
the clerk in there, that's a nothing role. You know, they could have just had him walk in, do the thing, and walk out. But the clerk was kind of poking at him, saying, Oh, yeah, you're eating all those Twinkies, huh? And he, Al's going, Well, no, they're for my wife. And the clerk's going, Uh-huh. And uh, Al says, No, 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 she's pregnant. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. You know, it was... It, even right down to that, you know, you've got anyone who had a speaking role basically had a personality, and I really liked that part of it, you know. But what about the one person we didn't put in there, Gleason? Is it Paul Gleason? He was the jerk deputy above Car above Al. <laughs> like he was—I don't mean—I don't haven't seen him in a whole lot, but I just know him as the jerk total jerk principal in the breakfast club and he's really good at playing that role but of course once the FBI came and this he was kind of more uh, cowardly yeah he played kind of that jerky role of oh I'm your superior officer and I'm going to uh, basically take everything over and the thing was he played that role of I'm your superior officer, but I'm one of those people who doesn't know what they are, what they're talking about. Okay, so I think that's going to wrap it up for Die Hard. If you guys haven't seen it, where have you been? What rock have you been hiding under? Uh, So, one to five, what would you give it? It's a five. Pretty awesome movie. Classic action movie. The whole jumping away from the explosion like it was done incredibly well yeah and they used that a couple of times they did it in the where he's jumping off the rooftop as it explodes Mm -hmm. and then also when he drops the explosives down the elevator shaft this was a moment where i've always loved this scene too i i've loved every scene in the movie but i mean this is one of them that always tickles me Drops the explosives down the elevator shaft, which is a relatively confined space. And he's looking straight down the elevator shaft, waiting for it to hit the bottom. Now, when the flames go somewhere, they're going to go back up the elevator shaft, obviously. You know, and he's thrown back from it and everything. But it's one of those moments where it's like, duh you don't stick your head down there you drop it down there and go away because it's c4 you know and why didn't he uh with every person he killed why couldn't he try on their shoes i guess he kind of gave up after the first guy or something because he needed to move quickly or something yeah i i was thinking about that too you know he could have easily done that but big part of taking the shoes off was to make him vulnerable yeah okay they had to do something to make it to where he can't move as quick or he's got some kind of a disadvantage because if he's got his shoes on you know he can move just as quick as anyone else and there's no terrain issue really you know so it was just more interesting to get his shoes off and then have him go the whole thing barefoot of course then in the second movie whenever i first saw the movie i was sitting there the whole time going are his shoes gonna come off (laughs) Is he going to take his shoes off? Come on, got to get those off. And of course for me, uh, star-wise, one to five, let's see, I don't know, probably like 
15 or 20. <laughs> yeah, I I love this movie so much. It's just one of them that tickled me whenever I was a kid, and I've watched it ever since to probably an unhealthy level, but it's easily my favorite, so you guys really should go check it out if you haven't seen it. Okay, so uh, moving on from Die Hard... We haven't decided quite what we're going to do for our next movie, so you guys will get a surprise when you uh, see the next episode pop up. That does bring us to a situation that we need to talk with you guys about a little bit. Due to the length of the podcasts that have been coming out here lately, we've been pushing anywhere from an hour and a half to over two hours We have decided that we're going to cut the podcast down to once a month rather than every other week. A big part of this is, a big reason for it is the length of the podcast and the fact that we do a um, heavy amount of editing for each podcast that comes out. I'm sure you guys have noticed that there are points where you can tell where there's edits that have been done. What I want from the podcast is a nice clean sound. I want to get rid of as much of the ums, the pauses, just kind of that stuff that I don't like listening to on other people's podcasts. I want to get rid of it for this podcast as much as possible. I mean, I realize it's part of the language, but if someone is talking I want to present them in the best possible way and so one of the things that we do is a heavy amount of editing to try and give each guest the best possible sound that we can get for them okay and so you're talking a few hours to sometimes many many hours of editing going into each individual podcast to bring it up to the level of what we want to put out on the show. It's going to be a good thing to do just so we can put out our best effort. So, you know, we'll have time for it and time for our lives. Well, not just our lives in general, but uh, the podcast is about wanting to do film And they'll give us a chance to do film, yeah, like you said. Yeah, when we first started the podcast, we were looking at like half an hour to 45 minutes was the target length for the podcast. And I don't mind in the least that we're doing a lot longer, more in-depth interviews. I love where it's at. We just can't do the amount of editing needed and still actually have time to go out and do film or do the other projects in our lives or for that matter just live our lives and have a weekend that doesn't entail an all-nighter to try and get the podcast out okay and obviously the option on there is to not edit the podcast as much as we are and that's something that I've thought about but I like the sound of the podcast the way we have it, and I like trying to put out the best possible sound. And so for this particular podcast, 
We're going to keep up with the editing. We want to give you guys the best possible sound. And so, you know, you're getting a much longer podcast. So it'll be uh, released once a month. We're not quite sure yet when we're going to release it. You know, stay tuned. We'll let you guys know. And we're definitely not going away. Podcast isn't going to suddenly disappear on you. But we just need time to be able to live our lives and also go out and shoot some film. Yeah. I mean, we've managed to pull off a couple things this year, but we definitely need a little bit more time to be able to focus on multiple things rather than just the podcast. Now, that being said, one of the things that will be coming up is more podcast. I'm personally going to be doing a podcast with my spiritual group. You can stay tuned for more information on that if you guys want to um, follow that one as well. Uh, We're a druidic group and we're going to have various guests and music and everything on there. And then we're also going to be doing a, a Dungeons and Dragons real play podcast. Now, the Dungeons and Dragons podcast will be not edited anywhere near as much as what this one is. It's going to be almost a record it and forget it kind of thing, other than some specific things I want to pull out, like pauses and things like that during the uh, gameplay. That's the kind of stuff I'm going to pull out, but it's going to be... Pretty much, when we get done recording, I may go through, get rid of pauses, get rid of a couple of minor things, but other than that, it's going to go straight out. So that's going to be a little bit easier on me. And I've got other help for editing on the Druid podcast also. Yeah, just so you know, I'm not part of those, and nothing against Dungeons and Dragons at all. I just, I'm not part of that, and... (laughs) But I'm thinking about doing something on Vine here, so I'll uh, I'll let you guys know. It just occurred to me I never have talked to you about the D&D podcast, really. Is that anything that you've ever done? Ever been interested in? Nope. Didn't think so. Okay. (laughs) I'm just too visual. Like, everyone's saying, oh, well, it's still awesome. Like, you can be a storyteller and all that. And it's okay. I mean, I could check it out one time this is totally different this is like through the extreme of a comparison but I was like huh I used to have a friend who was a Jehovah Witness and I was like oh sure I'll try it out just to see what that's like that meeting okay I tried that out yeah okay just to get full exposure on the world yeah it doesn't hurt to try out something new you know and with that podcast it's going to be nice because one of the big things I've kept off of this show has been any kind of foul language or anything. I really want to put out a positive image for the show, for all of our guests. And I've really pushed for a totally clean, family-friendly show on this one. The D&D podcast will not be family-friendly, so, you know, it's going to be whatever comes up, comes up, and I'm not going to go through and be picky on it. But it's a different world. It's a different... It's something a little bit different than what this one is. So So that's where we are right now. You know, we really have enjoyed doing the podcast, and we're definitely not giving this one up. Um, We're going to cut it down a little bit, but 
that's more for sanity's sake than anything else, you know. This week is the week uh, Star Wars was released, and we released a uh, reactions episode. And I want to say thank you to all the listeners who, within one day, we had 29 listens to the uh, episode before the end of the day. And that is absolutely crazy, and love you guys for that. That was a lot of fun to do it. Went and saw the movie, did our... Uh, reactions thing afterwards and I am really glad that you guys enjoyed it oh yeah it was amazing it was an adventure it was great yeah it was a it was fun to go see the movie and then to know right afterwards you know we were gonna talk about it and get to actually share our immediate thoughts whether it was good bad or indifferent you know, we would actually get to share our thoughts with the world just right away. And considering we were in one of the first viewings of it on the 17th, you know, a lot of people had to wait until midnight or whatever, depending on where they were at. We were in at 7 o'clock on Thursday, the 17th, and got to see the movie in the first viewing and walk outside and do a... Uh, podcast episode for Star Wars. I mean, it was a lot of fun. Yeah, I had some uh, Sith Lords walking by. Uh, there was Darth Maul back there. I high-fived him, you know, with my Chewbacca in my hand at the same time. And then, of course, the best thing was seeing uh, someone in a full Stormtrooper costume. And I told someone about that, and they're like, oh... That must be uncomfortable to to watch Star Wars in. Hopefully they took off their helmet <laughs> when they watched it. So, yeah. Well, I would hope so, you know. that You gotta at least make yourself somewhat comfortable. But, you know, if I went in costume, whatever costume I'm in, that's the way I'm going to be through the whole thing. So, Well, yeah. someone made a quip at a, the same person because uh, they were like, oh, were there any cool costumes? It's like, oh, yeah. And they were like, well, hopefully it wasn't like when I saw... Lord of the Rings, the Two Towers, someone was, you know, in Gandalf's hat. They didn't take it off in the whole film, you know, and the hat was pretty tall. So, you know, maybe Gandalf, have some decency. Take off your hat when people are trying to watch a movie. Or sit in the back row. We live out close enough to Oregon City that going to the Hilltop Theater there in Oregon City is... Uh, very doable for for any time that we want to go see a movie. So it uh, it's nice. You can go in. You got the recliner seats. You can relax once you get your ticket. You already know where you're going to be sitting. There's no uh, musical chairs kind of feeling to try and get seats together or anything. Just buy your tickets, pick your seats. You're good to go. So definitely, if you guys are out in the area, Oregon City area, check out uh, the Hilltop Theater. And the nice thing is, you know, it's not Cenotopia prices for the seating. It's normal prices, if not a little bit cheaper than some places we've been to. There's a little well-deserved plug for them. We've had good experiences every time we've gone there so far. With us going to a a once-a-month release, we would like to get your guys' feedback on uh, what you've liked about the show, uh, what you haven't liked about the show, if we can improve something, 
if there's something you want more of, less of, whatever, you know, or if you just want to say hi and whatever, just go ahead and send us an email. We're looking forward to hearing from you guys so that we know that, you know, we've got a steady group of people listening to the show. Not huge by any means. About 25, 30 of you out there that are listening every week. I'm constantly looking at the numbers just to kind of get an idea of who's out there, who's listening. And so we would love to hear from you guys, um, especially with us going to a uh, less often release. Let us know what you'd like to hear a little bit more of or less of, or if you have something that you want to say. That's going to help us out so that we can put out the best possible podcast for you guys to listen to. We want to have it set up so that you guys are enjoying the show just as much as we enjoy doing it. If you have anything you'd like to suggest, go ahead and drop us a line. The email address is filmunderdogs at gmail.com. We're also on Facebook. Just look up Film Underdogs, you'll find us. We're on Twitter, at Film Underdogs. You can definitely uh, find us out there. Stop by the Facebook page or Twitter. You know, we'd love to hear from you guys, find out what you're thinking. No trolls allowed. No. <laughs> yeah, if someone has constructive criticism, I don't mind it. If you're just out there to be a troll, well, you know, I'm probably going to ignore you anyway. But then if they're out there to be a troll, they probably wouldn't be listening to the podcast over and over. So, And being the end of the year, I just want to really thank everyone for spending the time to listen to our little podcast. We've been doing it for, we're looking at episode 12, so about six months now, give or take. And... It's been a lot of fun uh, putting this out. It's been a lot of hard work. We've got to meet a lot of interesting people doing this. It's been a very positive experience for us overall, I would say. Oh, yeah, definitely. It's uh, helped me hone in on my interviewing skills at least a little bit. I'm still trying to get that... Uh, <laughs> You know, get the shyness out of there, and it's helped me to meet really interesting people and find out about them and how they got to be where they're at, and it's helped me make some new friends, I guess, in a way, at least, you know, some connections in the film community in Portland, and it's been really awesome, and just the fact that you know, you had the idea to do this podcast was awesome. I was like, you're like, oh, you want to do a podcast about this? And I'm like, well, yeah, give me something awesome to do there, you know, that will get me out there and something to, I mean, I used to hate my voice. I used to hate hearing it. And now I don't really mind it. I'm just like, yep, that's me. That's my voice. Bite me. No. <laughs> I feel the same way. I still sometimes have a hard time listening to myself talk, but I'm a lot better about it. It's one of those things that you just kind of get used to after a while, and 
And it has to do with the resonance in your head. You know, you hear your voice different than what it is whenever it's projected out into the world. It's one of those things that everyone, when they first start doing something like this, you know, they've got to get past that point of really having an issue with the way their voice sounds. I think that's a big part of what kept me from doing it for as long as I was interested in doing it. I've been looking at doing some kind of a podcast for probably two years now, and now I'm finally doing one, you know. A big part of it is coming up with a topic that people are going to be interested in, but by the same token, there was also that point of going, I don't really like what I sound like, so. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thanks for dealing with my nonsense. (laughs) You know, I really have enjoyed doing it. We both had our uh, ups and downs throughout the whole process of it, but... I would say it's been a very positive experience overall, you know, yeah. and that's the important part. I mean, um, we're, it's kind of like the straight man and I don't know about the comic relief. I'm just an oddball, but you know, <laughs> yeah, I do. Basically, you know, this was supposed to be a half hour to 40 minutes and running time right now is hour 34 for recording so um that's something that we got to work on a little bit is getting the time down to where we want it but that's all right it's like i don't get like my thought process doesn't happen until later on and i'm like oh yeah this and this and this and this and this and this and then yeah an hour and a half later oh man well and that's kind of what we've been trying for on the podcast anyway is having more of a conversational feel, even though we have notes and questions that we ask each of the people that come on, we try and uh, have also questions that come up during the show that we can kind of play off of and just run with, you know. We really want to give you guys a good listening experience, so thank you everyone for listening. We really do appreciate that we have so many people out there who take the time each time this is released to stop and listen to us talk about whatever it is that we're talking about visit with the people who come on the show or talk about movies that we should have seen ages ago or maybe have seen 150 times uh, <laughs> You know, it is it is what it is. And we love you guys. You know, we're so happy that we have a good base audience. We'd like to grow the podcast some more. So please do us a favor and share the episodes as they come out. Uh, share them on Facebook or Twitter or wherever you're at. Let your friends know about it. Let your family know about it. Let your neighbor's dog know about it. We really do appreciate um, any effort you guys can make to help us out a little bit. And go on to iTunes if you can and give us a uh, five-star review. That'll actually help us gain more listeners as well. Hearts. Lots of hearts out there. Giving you guys hearts. Hearts, hearts, hearts. With that, hope you guys had a great Christmas. And... 
Happy New Year's. We'll see you next year. And we'll uh, let you guys know as we decide on what the new release date is going to be. And uh, we'll go into the new cycle. Looking forward to see what 2016 brings. What are you doing, New Year's? New Year's Eve. If you want to win the lottery, you have to make the money to buy a ticket.